Welcome to the Faith Community Church Podcast, a ministry of Faith Community Church in South Boston, Virginia. This week, we have a special guest with us to encourage you to deepen your faith in Jesus Christ. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to be here uh, at Faith Community Church. Uh, It can often be a little difficult to preach at a church that you've never been to. Uh, You don't know the people, and you don't know the background, the history. Uh, You don't know where everybody is at. Uh, But can I just say, uh, worship team and congregation, you made it easy for me to come up here and preach this morning. I mean, I, that was some spirit-filled, God-glorifying worship. Um, so Sam had told me that was the first time he had led worship uh, here, and if you would have not have told me that, uh, I would not have believed you. So thank you, um, everybody, for making my job uh, easier as we sang the word and to the word. Now I get to preach the word. Uh, it just makes it that much easier. So uh, it is good to be here with you all this morning. If you have a Bible, I invite you to open it, them up to Matthew chapter 14. That's where we're going to be this morning. I'm going to go ahead and read our text. I'll go ahead and read our text, and then I'm going to say a brief prayer that God would bless the reading and the preaching of his word. Matthew 14, starting in verse 13. We're going to be looking at verses 13 through 21. Starting in verse 13, Matthew writes, Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place. And the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said they need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, said a blessing, Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about five thousand men besides women and children. This is the word of the Lord, and I pray that he adds a blessing to the preaching of it. Join me in prayer. Psalm 2. 1 through 5 says, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Father, the confusion and the uncertainty 
of what's happening in our world right now is not foreign to any of your people. We read in Psalm 2, the same question was asked by the psalmist, why do the nations rage? The same question we have asked all week. But your response is in verse 6, as for you, you have set your king on Zion, my holy hill. Lord, you are reigning. Jesus is standing at the right hand of the Father. And there is nothing outside of his reign, including the evil that we see. So I pray that you would comfort us. Uh, I pray this morning that we would be reminded that when you see the chaos, you have compassion. And that all that we need to continue walking after you is found in you sufficiently. Lord, we love you. We pray that you'd bless this time here. Thank you that you've allowed me to preach. I pray that you would only allow me to speak what you want me to speak this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, I have lived in Virginia for about 11 to 12 years now. And one thing that I have noticed uh, during the months of January to March, when we get that one snowstorm that usually comes heading our way, uh, usually the week of that snowstorm, I find that there are two items in the grocery store that are almost impossible to get my hands on, and that is milk and bread. It seems that when a snowstorm comes into Virginia that the only two food groups left are milk and bread. I mean, the vegetables and the grains are stocked plenty, but it is a famine when it comes to those two items. And usually when I go shopping, me being from New York, when I hear a snowstorm coming in, I just think, okay, I'll go to the grocery store Friday, the day before the snowstorm's about to hit. And then when I do go to the grocery store, what are they out of? Short supply? Milk and bread. Well, what's true of a grocery store during the pending snowstorm in Virginia is also true of our text this morning. There is a short supply of bread. Bread was... Uh, essential, I would say even more so, uh, in the ancient world, uh, in Jesus' time, to survival. And to get bread uh, was, uh, if you were not wealthy, if you did not have an abundance, it was a, it was a cause for prayer. That's why Jesus told his disciples to pray for their daily uh, bread in the Lord's Prayer. And so what we have here is we have a need for bread in verses 13 through 21. If you look at verse 13, we're going to see how Jesus supplies this short supply. We're going to see how Jesus meets the needs of not only his people, or not only the crowds, but his disciples as well, and how Jesus demonstrates through this miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 that everything that they need is supplied within himself. If you look at verse 13, Matthew begins, Now when Jesus heard this, what did Jesus hear? Well, in verses 1 through 12, uh, King Herod, or rather a client king, Herod liked to call himself king. He was actually one of three brothers of Herod the Great, the same Herod that tried to have Jesus killed when he was born uh, in Matthew chapter 1, uh, had just set a feast for himself. Uh, it was his birthday, 
and he decided that he was going to gather all the nobles and gather everybody to recognize him uh, as the king that he wanted to be. And he decided that uh, the daughter of his wife, illegitimate wife at that, uh, would, would come and dance before him and show off basically before his nobles. And so Herod, being in a drunken stupor at this point, at his own party, decides to give Herod's uh, his wife's daughter, whatever she wanted, whatever, up to half his kingdom, he says uh, in um, verse 8. And so what she decided that she wanted was John the Baptist's head on a platter. And so we have this raging conflict being stirred in verses 1 through 12 uh, that results in John the Baptist's death. Uh, and, and so when Jesus hears this conflict, when Jesus hears this political power move, uh, on Herod's uh, part, he decides to withdraw to a desolate place. So when Matthew writes, when Jesus heard this, he's referring to the political um, uh, chaos that's happening in verses 1 through 12, and Jesus decides to withdraw into a desolate place by himself. So when Jesus withdraws into a desolate place, the text doesn't really tell us where this place is. Luke gives us a, an indication that it's uh, Bethsaida, which was uh, really a village that was known for, uh, it had become increasingly popular as a fishing trade uh, town. It, it wasn't really much to look at. It, I mean, on the grand scale of the Roman Empire, Bethsaida, where Jesus withdraws to, is not a place where Rome is going to turn her eye and say that is a place of significance. And yet Jesus withdraws to this small, insignificant little village. And what we know of this town from other parts of Scripture is we know that Jesus healed a blind man, restored his sight in Mark chapter 8 in Bethsaida. And we also know that James, John, Peter, and Andrew, four of the disciples, were called by Jesus in this small fisherman town and a small, insignificant, desolate place. I think it's a reminder to us all that we should not discount Jesus's ability to do some significant things in insignificant, seemingly insignificant small places. It's a good reminder for us that no matter where we're at in life, no matter where this church is situated, no matter where we're at on, on the map, Jesus can show up, Jesus often shows up in those places that are unexpected and insignificant, and he works the most powerful in those places. So Jesus withdraws to this insignificant, tiny, small fisherman town. Literally, the town means house of fish. But when Jesus withdraws to uh, be by himself to get away from uh, all of the conflict and, uh, that is happening... Uh, the crowds hear it. So the crowds followed him on foot, it says, uh, from the towns. Uh, and when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed uh, their sick. Uh, I, don't, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty stingy with my quiet time. Uh, I, I like to have early in the morning between the, the hours of 6 and 9. I know some of you guys are thinking that's a little weird. I don't want to be up at 6 a.m. Uh, but for me, 6 a.m. to 9 is the time that I want to be by myself with the Lord, away from all of the demands of the day. And we all have those moments throughout the day or, or on the weekends where we like to just kind of retreat. 
and when that retreat is infringed upon by somebody else's needs or demands, whether it's your spouse, whether it's your kids, uh, whether it's family members, or whether it's church members, uh, you tend uh, to be a little stingy with that time. Uh, my wife and I, about four or five months ago, decided that it would be a good idea to get a puppy. Uh, and, and, and you know, before you get a puppy or before you do anything really uh, that sounds good, you don't really think about all the energy it's going to strip away from you, right? And, and so we, we baby, or we dog-sitted this little, or this one-year-old golden retriever, and it had the best behavior. I mean, it was the best dog to walk. It was the best dog to have around. Uh, and we thought, you know what? We want this too. If we're going to get a dog, we want to get a golden retriever, and he's going to be just like this dog when we get him. And then when we got the dog, my entire world was turned upside down because all of my quiet time, all of my retreat was met with that dog's demands and his whining and his barking and his needing to eat and his needing to go to the bathroom. And then, um, you know, it was just, it was awful. The first like two months was terrible. I got no quiet time whatsoever. Uh, I was a little annoyed uh, by the amount of need that this dog needed from me. But when Jesus retreats into his quiet time, when Jesus retreats into his place that, that he wants to get rest from the world and spend time with his Father, Jesus is met by a crowd with a, a great crowd, the text says, and that great cow, crowd brings its great need to Jesus. And is Jesus stingy uh, or annoyed or bothered by this crowd with their needs? Unlike us, Jesus looks, the text says in verse 14, he sees this crowd coming, and instead of retreating even further away from the crowd, instead of, of being frustrated that his time uh, is being met by uh, this people, he looks on the crowd with great compassion, and that compassion moves him to be closer to the people. I think sometimes... Uh, we tend to think God is a little bit bothered by all of our problems. Uh, it's easy for us to picture God with all of our issues, with all of our prayer requests, uh, with all of our, our ailments, uh, with all of our sins, right? And we think that God might be a little bit bothered. I don't want to bother him with this. My problem is a little bit small compared to the rest of the world. Uh, my, uh, I have fallen to, into this sin one too many times. I have struggled in this area. Uh, I, I, I have constantly gone to him in prayer time and time and time and time and again. Isn't God getting a little annoyed by my need? Isn't God getting a, a little... Isn't this getting a little old for him? Because what we do is we tend to, to take God and form him in our own image, in our own capacity for patience and compassion. Well, I would get a little bothered by this, right? I, I would get a little bothered uh, by the fact that uh, my quiet time, my, my resources, my energy is being demanded uh, by this person or this group of people. And yet Jesus, we see him, even as he retreats from all of the conflict, uh, he's met by a great crowd with a great need, and he looks on with compassion. Uh, just, just think about this. The compassion that Jesus feels actually moves him towards the people. It, it's not just a, a from afar 
type of feeling bad for this group of people that actually need something out of Jesus. And sometimes uh, we, we think either he's bothered or he's indifferent or because he's sitting on a throne in heaven, he's a little bit too far away to actually move towards us in his compassion, his care, his love, and his ability to supply whatever need that we bring to him. I think this text is a reminder. I think this, this scene with Jesus is there because we have a tendency to think that Jesus is going to get fed up soon, sooner than later, with, with, with my need, with my struggle, with my sin. And yet this text is here to tell us that Jesus looks at you, each and every single one of you, us as a group of people, he looks at, at the worries, the concerns, the doubts, and he has compassion on all of it. And that compassion doesn't just cause him to feel a certain way towards you, but it's a compassion that drives him to move closer to the areas that you think are not, uh, not being looked upon, drives him to the, po- the places that you don't bring out to other people because they're the most unlovable places. And Jesus looks at this crowd and has compassion, and he heals their sick. I want you to be reminded this morning that Jesus sees your need, and Jesus will meet your need. He sees all of it, none of it, goes under his radar and he delights to meet you in those places. Now, in verse 15, now when it was evening, that's the first scene in our passage, Jesus meeting the needs of the crowds. And so the second scene that we get to starts in verse 15 and brings us to verse 21. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place, almost to drive that point home. There's nothing here. There's no resources. This is a barren place where nothing can be done. And the day is now over. In other words, the disciples go to Jesus and say, Jesus, this is neither the time nor the place. Uh, you've done a really great job here so far, but it is coming to an end. The day, daylight is, uh, is, is, is soon will be passed. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. And so it, the response that the disciples have or the idea that the disciples have is, is a pretty normal common, uh, you know, their concern is, hey, there's not enough here. Send them away. So get, get the crowds out of here. Again, we see the kind of divine, uh, we see the divine perspective kind of contrasted with the human perspective here, right? We see Jesus' great compassion moving towards the crowds, and then the disciples come up and say, hey, hey, this is neither the time nor the place. Send them away. Get them out of here. Who knows if they wanted Jesus all to themselves uh, at that time? Who knows if they, if they just, the, the crowd was kind of a little, they were loud. Uh, they were still kind of needy. And the, the disciples were like, all right, this is, we've kind of had enough. Uh, you know, don't bother Jesus anymore with all of your stuff. Uh, come back tomorrow, uh, and then we'll be ready for you again. And, and Jesus, surprisingly, strikingly, responds to them in verse 16 and says, they need not go away. You give them something 
to eat. In the original language that you, if you mark up your Bibles, I don't know if you do, I, I like to mark it up, but if you mark up your Bible, I would encourage you to circle you, underline you, put an explanation point next to you, because um, in the original, that you would have been bolded. It would have been italicized to drive home the point that Jesus uh, was not willing to send the crowds away to fend for themselves, but he wanted his people to supply the need of the crowd so that you give them something to eat is stressed to the disciples uh, so that they hear from Jesus, their master, that it is your job to meet the need of the crowd. I know this is a desolate place. I know, what we're, I know we're in, situated in a place that doesn't have a lot of resources, but hey, look, you feed, feed the people. You do it. And so the disciples' response in verse 17 is, again, it's a logical one. I mean, we would respond the same way. They say, well, Jesus, we only have five loaves here and two fish. There's not a lot in the refrigerator. We haven't gone shopping in a while. We only have enough for ourselves. We are barely getting by ourselves. Jesus, don't you want to have like a little dinner to our, ourselves and have enough food to eat? I mean, this, this crowd, we, we just don't have the resources. We don't have the means to be able to carry out the task that you have commanded us. And so we have a concern here on the disciples' part, and we have a command from Jesus, and they seem to be contradictory. The concern is a real one. The concern uh, is, is logical here. We don't have enough, and yet the command stands from Jesus. You feed the crowds. And so when they respond and say, look, we have very little resources, look at what Jesus says in verse 18. He says, bring them here to me. That's his response. Bring them here to me. As I was studying this, as I was praying over this passage, as I was trying to figure out what is the thrust of this, what is the main point, what is the, the phrase that, that is standing out that should be elevated in my message here, and, and, the one, and the one sentence that I saw, that I highlighted, that I underlined, that's sitting right in front of me is bring them here to me. Now, obviously, Jesus um, is referring to the resources, the little resources, the short supply of bread that the disciples have. Um, but it could also, well, it actually does tell us that the crowds were also to be brought to Jesus. And so while the disciples are thinking that the command from Jesus uh, is, is all the stress is to be put on them, all the resources to be put on them, Jesus' response was, no, 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 no. You feed them, but you bring them here to me. Bring them here to me, Jesus says. That short supply that you have, that little that you have, Jesus says, bring it here to me. Jesus says, do you have, are you on a short supply of faith? Bring it to him. Are you on a short supply of peace? Are, are, what about hope? Are you on a short supply of hope? Are you on a short supply of holiness? Again, you, you, you stuck in that sin. You jammed up in this 
part of your life that you just can't seem to get past and, and you're, you're thinking to yourself, I can't, I can't love my wife the way that Jesus asked me to love my wife. I can't love my husband and serve and submit the way that Jesus has called me to do so. I can't raise my kids in the fear and admonition of the Lord. I have barely just enough to get a buy here. I can't continue to be faithful, to love my church family, to supply the needs of the people around me. I, I just don't have what it takes. And if you were to say that, I would say, yes, you don't. I don't. But Jesus has not asked you to be faithful and to serve him and to do the thing that he's telling you to do out of your own supply. Jesus knows you have a short supply of that. Jesus was aware that they only had five loaves and two fish. Jesus uh, did not task them with the task that he gave them so that they could go ahead and, and struggle and toil and stress and, and, and have too much um, to do uh, so that they would fail in that. Jesus gave them that task uh, because he knew that that would not be able to be accomplished unless he actually, they actually brought all of that little that they had and set it in the hands of Jesus. Jesus multiplies in his own strength what we cannot muster up in our own. Jesus, most of the time when Jesus did uh, a miracle, uh, it was not only for the person who the miracle was done to. Uh, it, it was oftentimes done for his own people, for his own followers. Yes, it was to heal the blind man to restore his sight. Yes, it was to raise Lazarus from the grave. Yes, it was to cast out demons out of the man who was overcome by them, but notice the disciples were always around to see that. A lot of the times Jesus did what he did so that the faith of the disciples would be strengthened, would be increased, and it would be more deeply abided in his person rather than themselves. Uh, we see in, in the Gospels uh, the disciples going on this journey with Jesus to increase faith, increased love, increased trust, increased reliance on the person and work of Christ and less on themselves. You remember in the upper room when Jesus was giving the Last Supper, uh, he said, all of you tonight will fall away from me. And then what did Peter the hero say? Peter said, not me, Jesus. Not me. I, will, I am willing to die for you. And Jesus says, Peter, I have prayed for you. Satan has demanded to have you. You will deny me three times tonight, but once you've been restored, stand up and restore your brothers. And Peter continued to say, no, 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 Jesus. No, no, I, I hear you. I hear that you're saying I don't have uh, what it takes in and of myself, but I promise you I do. And then Peter, uh, just a, a chapter or two later, finds himself weeping because he realized that the strength and the endurance to follow Jesus that he thought he had was not there. And Jesus was right. Look, Jesus is always trying to demonstrate to us our inability to be able to carry out the things that he's told us to do. He is in the business of multiplying what we can't muster up. He is, he is in the business of looking in on your needs, on your day-to-day -day needs. How are you going to get by? Jesus looks and sees that with deep compassion and says, hey, bring that to me. Just put it in my hands. Uh, this is not a let go and let God kind of philosophy where you just kind of 
you know, just, uh, I'm just going to let go. This is an act of faith that takes what you have day by day, lives in faithfulness to Jesus and puts it in his hand and says, look, I don't have enough, but you have enough. You are completely self-sufficient in and of yourself and need nothing. I need everything. Jesus, take what I have and do with what you will with it. Feed the multitudes with the little that I have. Increase my faith with the little bit of faith that I have. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. We see this in the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He distributes freely. If you're here this morning, and you feel like you're on a short supply, if you are on a short supply of comfort, of energy, of joy. Well, just know that the one who supplied your faith to begin with can continue to supply and sustain it. Give whatever it is that you're holding on to to Jesus. Give it over to him. Whatever it is that needs to be confessed, confess it to a brother or sister. Give it over to him. Whatever you feel like God is calling you to do, but you think that you're in a place, it is not the right place, it is not the right time, and you do not have enough resources. Well, friends, I'm here to tell you, and the scriptures is here to show us that neither of those factors are really a factor to the one who has everything. We're about to take communion uh, this Sunday. And I think Jesus has given his church no greater ordinance, no greater picture of what it looks like to come to Jesus with all of your need than the Lord's Supper. Uh, the church that my wife and I are, are members at currently right now, uh, I, I love when we, we take communion. Every church does communion a little bit differently, and, and I think there's uh, a lot of beauty uh, in the same symbolism in a lot of the ways we do it. But one way that we do it is, is, is the elders or the deacons, rather, will get up and they'll stand in the aisles and they'll have the plates, and then everybody kind of, you know, orderly comes up uh, and grabs the, the bread and the wine or the grape juice. We're Baptists. We don't have wine. Um, so they, they grab the elements, and what I, my favorite part of communion during this part of the service is not so much grabbing up and taking, although I, I do love that part and I love the eating, but it's watching the multitude of people just flock to the elements. It's watching people in droves and, and, and with all their need, with all their failing, with all their blemishes, uh, with all their anxieties, just coming and taking and taking and taking and taking. Because it's a, a beautiful picture that no matter where we're at, we all have a need for Christ and his sufficiency. We all have a need for him to supply what we're lacking. It's not just the crowds were in need of Jesus in this text. It was also the disciples. Even, your, even his own people constantly need to come to him time and time and again and take and eat and take and eat. Jesus said, feed on my flesh, drink of my blood. Uh, the narrative that we're reading is the same one in John chapter 6 where afterwards Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He says, I am true food and my blood is true drink. If you want to live, if you want to flourish, if you want to feel less burnt out, 
If you want to know that I care and that I'm close and that I am nearby, come take and eat. And so what we're about to do is really just a picture of what we heard in this text. It is the word of God seen after you have just heard it preached. So I I just want to encourage you this morning. I want to remind you that as we come and take communion, we are doing the very thing that Jesus invited us to do all along as we abide in him. It's just to come to him. Take and eat. Take your short supply and bring it to his abundant storehouse. And I promise you, your faith will be sustained. Your walk will be flourishing. This life uh, will, though dark, though uh, scary, though chaotic, uh, you will see redemption in the darkness push, pushed back the more you come to Jesus and bring it uh, to him. So as we close, what is it that you need to bring to him? What is it that you need to lay down uh, at his feet and let him take, as you take and eat, as you take partake in the elements, uh, know that you are doing the very thing that Jesus has asked his disciples to do all along. And if you're here today and you don't know Christ, uh, you not only you have the greatest short supply, and that is the short supply of the glory of God. Romans tells us all fall short of the glory of God. If you're in short supply of the glory of God, well, then you're, you're all where we were once before we came to bring that to Jesus and he can supply that glory and that righteousness. That's the gospel. The gospel is Jesus has more righteousness than you do uh, in and of yourself, but he supplies all of that righteousness when you put your faith and trust in him. So let's pray together. Let's prepare our hearts as we take communion and ask that we would we would marvel and we would feel the presence of the compassion of Jesus drawn close to us and the need being filled and supplied for. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that it paints a realistic picture of who you are. Often, Lord, we we have a picture of you that's made in our image. We have a picture of you that that has been constructed by other people who might have failed us, who might have wronged us, who might have mistreated us. But Lord, your word gives us a picture of the true, perfect Jesus who does and will never do neither of those things but draw near to us in the most broken places that we have. God, thank you that you have not only drawn near to us, but you have, you have made a way. You have supplied our every need. You have given us grace upon grace. You have uh, told us that you will be with us to the end of the age and that we need not bank on our own resources. We need not uh, trust in our own feelings or lack thereof, but we simply come to you, place all that we have in our hands, place all that we are, in your hands and watch you multiply what we cannot muster up. You truly supply all our needs in Christ Jesus. So I pray for each and every single person here. Lord, I pray the worries and the anxieties. Lord, I pray the difficulties and the discouragements of life would just be placed at your feet. And I pray that they would place those down, lay those burdens down, and take up true drink and true food and feed on the abundance of your goodness and supplies. And I pray and ask all these in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about Faith Community Church, 
you can find us online at FCCSOBO.org or on our Facebook page by searching Faith Community Church. As always, God loves you, we love you, and we hope you have a wonderful week.